Welcome to Prepare to Care, the ARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved ones. I'm Marie Pierre, your host. So, caregivers are often in charge of making important health and living decisions for their loved ones, but there are some special challenges when it comes to dealing with legal documents and planning for the future. So, today we've invited Crystal Jenkins. Uh, She's a staff attorney and clinical teaching fellow with South Texas College of Law. And she's here today to to tell us more about the, the kind of legal things that we need to think about. She's also, she and her team provide free workshops around town uh, to help educate Houstonians on sensitive legal topics. And, um, and so, um, well, Crystal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, okay. <laughs> so um, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, most of us are not lawyers, right? right? And there comes a time when um, maybe, you know, mom and dad are nearing the end of their lives, you know, and, um, and we start thinking about wills. Yeah. And, and a lot of us wants to take the bull by the horn, you mm-hmm. know, and, and just start doing things for them. Right. So what's the best way to tackle that kind of situation? The best way to tackle the situation, and by the way, thank you so much for having me. Um, the best way to tackle that situation is if someone comes to you and says, I need to get my affairs in order. If you are a daughter or son of someone who is aging or even a young person, I have young people come to me and say, I want a will. I think my, my, my most recent client was like 40 okay? Okay. and he had just had a baby. But if someone comes to you and tells you they want to get their affairs in order, it's okay to help them find a lawyer. It's okay to help them seek uh, a lawyer that can that can help them do that. But at the end of the day, the person who is creating the will or the person who is doing the estate planning for the benefit of themselves and the beneficiaries who will become beneficiaries upon the death of that person, it really is that person's responsibility to get to a lawyer and get some sound legal advice to get their affairs in order. Uh, we want to take the middleman out as much as possible um, because when you enter into a relationship with an attorney, it is the attorney-client relationship and there's confidentiality issues and there's privacy issues along with that. Um, so if I understand well, like if, you know, mom needs a will, it's probably not a good idea for me to go online and find like a, you know, an easy, like make a will type software and do it myself. And then I'm the beneficiary for the will. That would look suspicious, right? Is that what you're talking about? Not only would it look suspicious, it's bordering on some pretty uh, frowned upon principles okay. in the probate realm. Um so, my mom always likes to say, and she's a wills and trust. Uh, she's a wills, trust, and estates professor, and she likes to say, "Wills is not a form practice." Okay. Okay. Wills isn't a form practice. Each will, first of all, should be specified to that particular person. So, even for a person who's creating a will for themselves, I don't recommend going online and finding a form will because they have mistakes. They haven't been updated with proper code sections. The legislature is always making changes and not telling attorneys. And then they draft this form will that's totally not in sync with what actually is proper under Texas law. And their distribution is not going to happen properly because they haven't used the right language because they've done it themselves. 
And um, so all these little things they can get you later. Does that ever happen? Absolutely. Um, for example, um, I mean, I think I had an issue with with one will, it, and this is just coming to my mind. Um, we had an in and and. I think it was everything in the home or everything and the home. And because the person took it upon themselves to draft it themselves, it was everything in the home was left to this person, oh. but not everything and the home. That's a big one. It is because you're it's a large piece of property and usually the issue is the real property. What are we going to do with the family home? Sunday dinners after church. Um, well, you've just messed that up by not seeking um, the count, the proper counsel. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the, the home is generally like the big piece of property for most people, right? Usually, yes. Um, people with smaller estates, uh, the home tends to be the biggest issue, which is why we always try to find alternatives to wills when it comes to something like that, just so um, there are no mistakes uh, made. But we what do you mean like, by alternative to wills? Alternative to wills, meaning, uh, I believe it was September of 2015, uh, the legislature... Uh, legalized, meaning they codified the transfer on death deed. And the transfer on death deed uh, was created because there were, there were a large group of people, um, I believe Hurricane Ike sort of had, we had issues with um, people not knowing proper title. So okay. we, you had an influx of people trying to get their affairs in order, and they had lost um, the paper trail along the way. They had they had lost, or probate wasn't done, and they couldn't, uh, they couldn't, you know, get these tax exemptions on their houses because they didn't have proper title. Okay. Um, and what I'm saying is, I'm not discounting wills. Wills are important, but if all you have is this home and you don't have a whole lot of money to um, spend on an attorney, you can draft a transfer on death deed, file it in the real property records, and upon your death, that real property then passes to the beneficiary named in the transfer on death deed. Um, you don't need to pay an attorney a $2,500 retainer to probate a will. I think the filing fee now for a transfer on death deed is, I think the highest fee I've ever seen is like 40 bucks. 40 bucks. $40 um, to file these things in the real property records. And then upon um, the person's death, um, all the individual, the beneficiary, has to do is file a certificate of death um, with the real property records, and that's it. The property is is theirs. They have legal title to that home. So if I understand well, it, it's like th there's one thing that people can do, which is a will, but yes. there's also now a, a simple mechanism called a transfer of deed yes. upon death. Is right. that how it's called? It's yes. a transfer on death deed. Transfer on death deed. Yes. Okay. And there are other jurisdictions, like many other states, have had this for quite some time, and then Texas has now jumped on board just to make it easier for uh, low-income uh, clients, low-income, you know, people, and and just you know, people who have means can mm -hmm. also use the Todd. I think we gave a seminar recently where we talked about someone can actually transfer a castle if they want. Okay. Transfer on death deed. If you happen to have a castle, that's it. If you happen to have okay. a castle, then you can transfer that by a transfer on death deed too. But the reason that we make the, that that we're enforcing this as something that is something to be treasured is because of the cost of probate. It's not only cost on the front end trying to get it done, trying to get a will done, trying to get estate planning done. 
but on the back end for your beneficiaries, they've got to then pay an attorney once you die, another oh. retainer, and then you're going at upwards of cost for filing fees and, and just the attorney's work. They're billing you at $400 an hour. And so, so let's talk about this. And, and you know, I'm a complete novice in that area. No, but when I mean, you write a learning. will, mm-hmm. right, when you write a will, then somebody, well, after the person dies, somebody gets appointed and it's called a probate. Or that's going to probate. Is that how it's called? Yes. So, um, yes. I mean, in, in a sense. So if you have a regular typewritten and what we call self-proved will, which is what you want to have, um, we'll get into handwritten wills later and why those are disaster in my opinion not a disaster you can work it out you can bring witnesses in to testify about handwriting but okay we prefer the typewritten self-proved will that requires no witnesses in court okay and in a will and only in a will can you name an executor an executor cannot be named by any other means other than a will i see okay um and so that executor once there is a death of the person um, who has named the person executor, they go and retrieve the original will and they begin probate by giving the will to an attorney um, and that attorney then files the will and begins the probate process where the person can be appointed executor over the estate and can distribute that estate to the beneficiary. Got it. So what I'm hearing is that can be costly and, and apparently it can take a lot of time. If the only thing that you have is your house? Yes then that transfer of deed upon death, that might be a good idea. You got it. So, and I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, oh, well, I, I don't know a whole lot about legal matters. So yeah. are there places in Houston that people can go to to get help with all of this? I mean, a uh, little self-promotion here. We okay. definitely do. I'm not over the estate planning clinic, though I do a great deal of estate planning. Uh, we have uh, Professor Betty Luke. She's awesome. She does our family law advance clinic, and she also does our estate planning clinic. And um, we are a little more lenient on our income. Uh, we have we have income requirements, but okay. we're lenient with the estate planning clinic because there's no filing. We're just planning I see. for that particular uh, person. But South Texas College of Law, Randall Osorel's legal clinic does do this. Um, and, and I'm going to plug in, I think ARP yeah. offers some um, some workshops sure. on that uh, deep transfer. Yes. So, so And I think there's one coming up in July, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure, but but check our website okay. at um, ARP.org forward slash Houston to, to know more about that. Um, so uh, quickly, are there some do's and don'ts about wills that, that you would like our listeners to be aware of? Um, I guess, uh, are you trying to sort of talk about like the caregiver aspect or are you the caregiver about? aspect okay. one thing i heard is don't do it yourself absolutely don't, don't not. write the we, the will yourself absolutely not absolutely not so uh caregivers um awesome people i mean and they definitely build this sort of trust with their patients mm-hmm. and the beca- the patients kind of become like family to them which is good in one sense they that they have someone caring for them who is truly caring for them um, as an individual uh, the lines can get blurred when the caregiver then tries to act as an attorney for the patient. Um, they've grown so close to this individual and the individual trusts them so much that the patient begins to ask the caregiver to do things that are not only uh, unethical but are beyond uh, their ability uh, to actually accomplish. And one of those things is the preparing of a will. 
And I, I'm going to interrupt. Mm -hmm. It could be also inside the family, where suddenly one child is closer and, and doing the, the caregiving for the mom or dad. Yes. But then the other children might have some feelings about all of this, right? Absolutely. So one of the issues that I want to touch on briefly is undue influence. And undue influence is a doctrine um, in Texas law, um, which talks about overpowering the will of the testator to the point where they no longer have the free will and they don't exercise their free will when they're drafting the will. Okay. I see. So it, it's a really strange doctrine, but it is a sound doctrine and it, 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 um, I guess it's illuminated most in the caregiver sense. I've seen it come up a few times and I've actually dealt with a case similar to this one where testator has a good, and I'm going to change the details a little bit for the privacy of my client, but caregiver uh, grows very close to the testator, begins grooming the testator, um, becomes good friends with the testator. The testator then starts to trust the caregiver up to a point where it's no longer just a trust, but I hate everyone else and now only care for you. And the will that I have drafted, leaving my property to my children, I now, for some strange reason, all of a sudden despise them. Mm. And you are the only one I care about and therefore I wanna leave everything to you, the caregiver. Now the court's gonna frown on that and that immediately raises this doctrine like if the relationship between this testator and her children was good all of this time but the moment she met you everything changed that's going to look bad and texas uh case law has example after example after example it is a huge body of case law that screams specifically to the caregiver do not do this Okay. Don't do this. Um, so really the advice for caregivers is step back. Don't get involved. Don't get involved. If the idea of, of, or, or if the necessity of will is coming up, which it will right. sooner or later, okay. then you need to step back. You need to seek legal advice. If you're part of the family, you need to get other people involved and, and you need to, 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 to seek some, some legal advice. If you're not the family member, what I'm hearing is you need to be extra careful right. in those situations. And we also want to be careful that caregivers are not sort of helping the person draft the will either. Like they're not, because that's the unauthor unauthorized practice of law. Like they're not even supposed to be doing that. Got it. If the testator wants to draft a will themselves, they can do that. But if caregiver is standing over the shoulder, who is she leaving everything to? The court's going to have questions. That's not going to work. So um, really quickly here, um, let's go back to writing a will. Okay. You said that you had like some, some advice about uh -huh. that. Um, so we prefer in Texas, an and it's a lot easier if the, uh, if the, um, if the will is typewritten okay. Okay, and it's self-proved, meaning it has this self-proving affidavit on it, which is signed by the witnesses. Okay, so the witnesses sign the will, and, and therefore the will is self-proved. The, the witnesses have signed in the presence of the testator. The testator has signed in the presence of the witnesses. Um, I think one of those you can excuse, but I like to have everyone in the same room just so there's no, no issues at all. And once that's been done, the will is now self-proved, okay? And you don't, once the testator has passed away, have to drag those witnesses in the court who might actually be dead at the time of probate. Right. Okay. The executor sim simply probates the will, and then the will is um, 
they're issued letters testamentary, and then from those letters testamentary, they're able to then distribute the assets to the beneficiaries and pay the debts. Okay. Okay. Now, a holographic will, a handwritten will, can have all sorts of problems, which is why I just say go to an attorney, get a self-proved typewritten will. You're good. Handwritten wills usually never name executors. The person writes on like a napkin. Um, I want to give the armoire to whoever. Yes. yes. And then once you've done that, you've, leave, you've left a partial intestacy because you've left the armoire. Okay, what about everything else? So... Usually the holographic will will say, I leave all my property to John Smith. Okay. And they've named no executor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a family member has to step forward and that family member is usually appointed administrator with will annexed. Okay. So it's an administrator appointed by the court because there was none, no executor named in the will. And that administrator must follow the terms of the will and distribute the assets to the beneficiaries as the will provides. Um, Then with the holographic will, you're gonna also have to bring in witnesses to testify to the decedent's handwriting signature and we don't know who's gonna be alive at that time. Some people live a long time and all their friends are dead. Right. So So who knows, right? And you're left with that napkin. Okay. You're left with a napkin. So I'm hearing, uh, I mean, this stuff is complicated. Yes. And and you need to be really careful. Yes. Especially when there is, you know, substantial property, at least a house and, and some other things. So, um, um, you know, we're getting close on time here. If there were maybe three pieces of advice that you had for our listeners today, okay. what would that be? Don't underestimate gifting during lifetime. If huh. you have a wedding ring, you know who you want to give it to. Your doctor says you have cancer or and you feel like you're getting towards the end. Give it to them. That's a great idea. Give it to them. Gift during your lifetimes. The same thing goes with um, naming a beneficiary on your on your bank account. Okay. okay. Todd's, as we discussed b- before. Um, what else? Wait, so naming a beneficiary on your bank account, that's something you can do with the bank? Yes, and you will not it will not pass through probate. Oh, okay. So number one, give all your gifts while you're alive. That might exactly. actually give you some joy. Some of them, okay? Um, and then if you want to deed your house to someone during your lifetime, you can do a special warranty deed, not a transfer on death deed. But what we're trying to do is keep as much out of the estate as possible. I see. So if we have to probate the will and then there are problems, well, we can say, well, there was nothing there anyway. We get, we, everyone's already taken care of, and there's nothing wrong with that. So one idea is to start doing things and, and kind of disinvesting yourself, you know, yeah. while while you're alive. Yeah. The, the second thing that I heard is if you have quite a bit then and you need the will, get an attorney, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you can pay and afford an attorney, go ahead and get one. Get a will drafted. I recommend wills um, because... As we said, the Todd is not going to deal with anything but the real property. But if that's your mainstay, then that's fine. But uh, the will 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 catch all of the rest of that, all of your personal property. Um, I think that's it. That's it. And then then that house, right? If the only thing you have is that house, then you do that uh, deed transfer. You can do the transfer on death deed. A lot of people are also belt and suspenders kind of people. They want the Todd and they want the will. Okay. Um, but just just keep in mind that if you draft a will leaving house to Sally Sue, my house goes to Sally Sue in the will, okay? And then you draft a Todd giving your house to Bobby Sue or something like that. Bobby Sue gets the house because the Todd will trump the terms of the will. Okay. Okay.
Okay. All right. Well, yeah. this is just amazing advice. So oh, thank, no, you thank you so you much. So folks, today we've been talking with Crystal Jenkins of the South Texas College of Law. And she told us like the 12 of advice about the do's and don'ts of what to do when a loved one needs to assemble a will. Um, so to find more tips uh, about when South Texas College of Law is hosting their next legal clinics in the community, uh, you can visit Crystal and her team at www.stcl.edu slash academics slash legal dash clinics. Share these podcasts with your friends who are taking long road trips this summer so they too can learn about brain games, dealing with tough family members, getting doctors to listen, and all the other fascinating topics that we have coming up in the next episode of Prepare to Care. As always, you can find the Prepare to Care podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at www.aarp.org slash Houston. And as always, Thanks for listening and thanks for caring.